Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Welcome in Reno, Vegas, 4 o'clock hours here. Adam Hill is over at Treasure Island at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar watching all the uh, Friday night action, which will include a football game here at Allegiant. A little later tonight as well, USC and Colorado. USC still in that CFP mix. So uh, for the eyes and the guts and the analytics of the CFP committee, nothing like beating Colorado, you know, 62-3. So we'll see what happens in that one. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota studios. we got some good guest spots coming up. Raiders Insider, Stanford Route on the way in about 20 minutes. But first, we start off the hour with a big 4-4. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. So we just talked to one of our hockey guys, Darren Millard, and he was talking about skating with some of the uh, Henderson Silver Knight players, and I'm like, okay, there you go, nice reference there. Um, I am way beyond any basketball prime if I had one, Adam Hill, but I saw a post up on Twitter that cracked me up in terms of Basketball and pickup basketball. You you played a lot of pickup basketball. I played a lot of pickup basketball over the years. Question out there: Who are the worst pickup basketball guys? I'll give you the choices. Never passes guy. Only guy on the court really serious about defense guy. Uh, cherry picker guy. Uh, thinks he can shoot but can't guy. Amazing gear, terrible athlete guy. Or, no, amazing gear, terrible ability guy and body odor guy. I know my choice, and especially at this age, I know my choice. Uh, well, you're very you are very sensitive to smell. I think body odor guy is probably a big one. Body odor guy does that does yeah that does disturb me, but that wouldn't be the number one. At if I were to play now, and I don't play, but if I were to play now in my fifties, serious about defense guy. Yeah, serious about defense guy. Like, dude, you gotta. And it's funny covering basketball games. Like I get to both ladies and men's. I actually think about that every once in a while. I was kind of. I was mentioning uh, some of the players who go really hard and like play defense like lunatics, and I was—I didn't mention pick up serious about defense guy, but I thought of that because there are even people who play basketball at a high level where you're out there and you're like, "Dude or lady, calm the freak down!" Like you're going to hurt somebody out here, and it's kind of a scary thing, but it's actually a really effective tool if you're a great defender to be oh. such a lunatic that people are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." Oh, I love. I, I mean, if I'm if I'm picking up a pickup team, I'm taking serious about defense. Oh guy. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I just don't want him on me. Do you remember there was a guy, uh, Mike the Pool guy, and I got to look up Mike's number because I might. I actually pool. randomly just talked to him. Like, did a you week really? It's been like three years. Mike the Pool guy was like, he's about six feet tall or five eleven. I don't know what he his gear for rebounding, offensive rebounding. Like, he would get, like, eight offensive rebounds in a row, and he wasn't 6'7". We're all like, what is going on? Will you calm down? He's Dennis Rodman. He was insane. Yeah, a lot of energy, for sure. Um, Next time you see him, tell him I'm looking for him. I really don't like – I mean, I, it's it's kind of comparable to, to not pass guy. Um, but if not pass guy scoring, I'm fine with it. Like, I don't care if you, if you score all the points. Just make sure it's on you know our team and you're not missing. What about uh, think? What about thinks he can shoot? But can't. no, that that's what I was going to get to, and, yeah. and I'm literally am thinking of one person in my mind, <laughs> in my mind right now, who is not only thinks he can shoot but can't guy, but really? every single time yells out like you got to make come on, you can do better, you can do oh, better. Oh, he gets like, on everyone else, and no, he's like screaming at himself. Oh, but you're like no, you can't. 
You're, you, every time you shoot, you yell at yourself, you got to do better. But you never are better. That's who you are. Uh, normally, you know, I'd push you to mention it on the air, but I'm afraid, so I'm not going to do that. You should be. We've mentioned the person on the air before, and they almost drove down and killed us. That's why. Number three. Move on quickly. Uh, <laughs> you asked me in the show notes today that I watch in-season hard knocks. No, I did not. Right now, my what? list is... Uh, is my TV list is Killer Sally, God Forbid, and Reboot. Sorry. Is but I will ju- watch Hard Knocks because on your recommendation, you love in-season Hard Knocks, and now that it's starting with what, the Cardinals, I have to do it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, no no video game references yet, but I hope that's coming. Uh, a lot of a lot of Kingsbury. A lot, like the first real scene is Kingsbury in his house slash war room, uh, just showing off how great his house is in Arizona. Of course. Um, but I did forget, like it totally, when I was so excited about Hard Knocks for so long, totally forgot that J.J. Watt was on the team. I mean, I know he's on the team, but I didn't put it together in my mind. Yeah, which is, I was thinking, you're not even going to watch this season because he's on it. Yeah, I'm out. No, already? I'm, I'm, I might be. I it, it, They did it again. Dude, it's, it's J.J. Watt workout montages followed by a, I'm not kidding you. This sounds like, how can this be on television? It was on television, a J.J. Watt, like a, a a meditation scene. Oh, God. Is it meditation with, like, the, the hard-charging, hard-knocks music, too? No, it's, like, it's soft music behind it, but it's just, it's him just meditating. You're like, this is not, th- no! First of all, he's just doing this for the camera, but also, don't show this. This is not a compelling television. He's not compelling television. And going back... To your, you know, your pickup basketball guys, I'll tie this back in. The, I'm going to give an emotional speech like every day guy. Don't be that guy. No, yep. every, everyone says, and I, I, I do think they made him into a very, very, very likable character. Like you will very much like him as a person. Right. Uh, Bubba Bolden. Uh, but man. You're like you can't give those speeches every day. I'm sure everybody's locker room is like, dude, shut up. You, you said that yesterday. You're emotional yesterday. You can't do this every day. You got to knock it off. You know, I got a Cardinals question for you. And uh, audience, if you want right now, this is going to be really boring for a minute. So everyone, turn off the radio. Um, it's, a, it's a JJ Watt meditation scene right now no, for the show. It was, it was a my fantasy football team question. Okay. Um, I actually. I actually sent someone an offer today in fantasy football and withdrew it a minute Me? later. Because like I was like that's stupid. I offered someone um, for Kyler Murray, uh, Kenneth Walker the third. First of all, is that an absurd offer on my part? Just a running back for a quarterback? Uh, it's that's a tough one. His other quarterback is Justin Fields. Oh, okay. He will never play him. Might as well take something. I withdrew it quickly. You're trying to get – is it a league that I'm in? Yes. You need a quarterback? Uh, I have Aaron Rodgers. I just can't take it anymore. He sucks. Yeah, you say you don't have a quarterback. Yeah, pretty much. That's rough. Yep, outside of the top 20 quarterback. If you can wait a couple weeks, I can get you to John Watson. Number two. Well, you screwed me on those. You know, I, I wanted DeAndre Hopkins, and I wanted uh, Sean Watson. Um, you know, it's funny when – when I saw some of the stories today, because uh, you know I was tracking the VGK game last night, and I knew that Eichel had 
the hat trick and heard a couple of goals on radio. When I saw some stories today about you know him giving Buffalo the business, I kind of wanted to hate it. But the more I watched highlights and saw the crowd reaction, man, I really liked it. Uh, give me this TV highlight of goal number two and listen to the TV guys just to describe the angst in the crowd and the joy from VGK and Eichel. Eichel in front. Shot. Score! You go back. Jack, do it again. Two goals and an assist for Jack Eichel in Buffalo, New York. He is just absolutely shot out of a cannon through the neutral zone. Ends up getting... Getting that puck in, in the defensive zone. You can see him here. As soon as he realizes the turnover, that's a puck. Watch him. Puts his head down and skates. What a pass here. Corrals it and puts that one five ball. Look at him. How excited he is. Boy, that feels good. Yeah, the reason that feels good. It looked good, too. The reason I like that goal so much is when they show the replay and how he busted his ass from one end to the other and then, like, the reward at the end. Man, this guy, really, he really is a star. And I don't know how many guys over the years, you know, VGK has only been around for a handful of years that they've had, like, Jack Eichel. Here's goal number three. Ten seconds left. Eichel will try again for the hat trick. He got it! From 195 feet. And there are some hats coming onto the ice in Buffalo. Some gold helmets as well. It's the third career hat trick all in this building. Two as a saber. One is a night, and good night from Buffalo. Adam, am I wrong in saying that the Knights just, you know, they've had great players, but they just haven't had a guy like this? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the dynamic, game-changing, uh, playmaker type guy uh, that, you know, not only gets other guys involved and, and is a great uh, distributor, a guy that can find you, uh, but also a guy that can finish and just take over a game. And uh, you can just kind of, you know, for, you know, for lack of a – you know, a, a, a hockey analogy like the guy in, in basketball, the just the go-to guy at the end of the game, the guy that you put the ball in his hands and say, "Go get us something." Uh, they've really had that. They've had to, you know, find ways to generate. Not not that a hockey player can do that on his own, but um, you know, you can put his, you know, his line out there for a shift or, or you know, double shift him late in the game, and hey, we need something. Go get it for us. And uh, the Knights have have done that in waves. They've had a, a group of guys that have been able to do that, but. Um, he's a game-changing type player when he's healthy, and it looks like he is healthy right now. Number one. Well, opportunities abound for the Raiders. That's glass overflowing, Cofield, because this week has been insane. Darren Waller hurt again. Now it's the right hammy. Early this season, it was the left hamstring. Hunter Renfro with a myriad of injuries on, uh, uh, on IR. And now linebacker. Between Divine Diablo out, Harriman hurt, and Blake Martinez, I see him on the field last week, and it's like, okay, good opportunity, man. They grabbed this guy. Go, you know, he's playing a lot. What did he do? Uh, he retired. He retired. Retired. Eleven tackles. Uh, played almost the entire game on defense. By Wait. far his most productive game. What? Yeah. Explain this one. So. Look, could there be more to it? Sure. Uh, doesn't sound like anybody thinks there is. It sounds like it was a case of he came back. He, he was trying to catch on to a team. He finally did with the Raiders. Finally started to get up to speed. Uh, Sunday had by far his most extensive action of the season after kind of being used in more spot duty earlier. And 
kind of woke up Monday and his body was just like, no, nah, man, this is not you anymore. Like, you, are not, you are not built to play you know, an entire game and make 11 tackles and have that many car crashes out on a football field. That's it. And I don't know if it's related or not, but he sold another Pokemon card last week. You know, we never got into the whole <laughs> Pokemon fortune. This is legit, though. He's yeah. got a passion where he's making good money. He doesn't need football. Explain, Poke, what is going on here? I don't. First of all, I have no idea what Pokemon is. I mean, I've, I've seen the cards. I've seen the people play the game, whatever. I don't know how you find. Do you discover these cards? Do you create them? I don't know. I guess it's like maybe like baseball cards. You just get lucky and open a pack or something. But um, he sold yet another. He sold a couple massive uh, paydays for Pokemon cards. Apparently, this one last week was another $700,000 sale. What? Yeah. So that's kind of his side thing. But it's a, it's, it takes much less of a toll on your body, I think. Again, I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah, sell, to, selling Pokemon to cards To acquire the Pokemon cards, you actually have to fight. There's a fight going. Yeah, I think so. You have to tackle somebody for them? One or the other. Football or fighting for Pokemon cards. Yeah, but he, he sold another one. And so I don't I can't tell you that it's related, but... I know for me, if I was, you know, selling a Pokemon card for $700,000 and then, you know, hurting my body on a Sunday and making a bunch of tackles for whatever his game check was, which is very good, but uh, I think I would pick the Pokemon side. Amazing. Big 4-4 presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers in Reno and Las Vegas. Call from anywhere in Nevada, 766-1400, Stanford Route. Up next. It's about proving it to ourselves. I don't care about proving anything to anybody else. It's about just letting us know, like, yeah, we are exactly who we wanted to be and who we said we were going to be in the offseason when we started putting all this work in. You know, we've been working longer than any team in the league. We just got to find a way to prove it to ourselves because I think we all know who we are and we all know who we want to be and who we're working to be, but we just got to find a way to, to prove that and, you know, put it on paper. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Route on Cofield & Company. Football Friday, Stanford route is in. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good. Yourself, fellas? Okay, okay. You know, and I don't <laughs> cover the Raiders on a day-to-day basis. Adam Hill does. How you doing, Adam? Good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. I think um, I'm, I'm better than the I'm better than the record indicates. Okay, there you go. Uh, we had Devontae Adams coming in. I'm not exactly sure what Devontae you know should say anymore here, Stanford, because it's it's got to be incredibly frustrating for him. He left a, a winning franchise, even though the Packers right now aren't very good either. But this has got to be a weird position for Devontae Adams. Oh, no doubt about it. Anytime you leave a Hall of Fame quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers and then go to a, a good quarterback, not Hall of Fame, but good quarterback in Derek Carr, and just essentially switching teams, which I still believe the Green Bay Packers are a better organization right now than the Las Vegas Raiders, you're always going to sit back and wonder the road not taken. Should I, should I stay? Should I not have come? You know, you're, you, you, that's going to rack your brain. So it's definitely a very intricate and a very difficult position right now for Devontae Adams to be in as far as just his mind racing to all the different possibilities and different outcomes from his decisions. How, I mean, is it, is it a process of learning how to deal with losses. We talk about learning how to win all the time. Like he hasn't really been in this situation. One year in, in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers got hurt and they weren't very good. Uh, and then one year I think they 
you know, right at the end of the year they fell under 500 and they didn't make the playoffs. But pretty much every year they've been top of the league, playoff contender, Super Bowl contender. He hasn't really been through this. So is it a process to learn how to deal with it? No, it's not necessarily. It's I guess you could say good go ahead good could go ahead and call it a process, but I really just think it's more of just the reality of the situation. And I'll go ahead and just break it down like this, fellas. As a free agent, as someone who goes to a new team, as someone who goes usually, which is to the highest bidder, oftentimes uh, with most players in this league, that is something that you know going in. That if I'm going to the team who's usually going to be paying me the highest, it is probably not going to be a franchise that is right now playoff bound. A franchise right now that is one of the top tier teams in the league. And so signing with them, what comes with that is the realism, is the discretion of knowing as I sign this contract, I'm not going to a great situation. I'm not going to the greatest franchise and things like that. And so whenever that all comes to fruition, being able to sit there in front of your locker and understanding that, you know what, I don't really like this situation that I'm in, but you know what, I understand it because this is what I signed up for. And I think for Devontae Adams to leave Green Bay and to go to the Las Vegas Raiders, you're leaving Aaron Rodgers to go to Derek Carr. So just by all accounts, you have to understand that your numbers are not going to be the same. Green Bay is a more stable franchise than the Las Vegas Raiders. So just everything in totality you have to be understanding of that and i know that sounds horrible to say right now raider nation listening to me but that's the truth of that's true that's the truth of the matter and any player who goes to a different team they all are very cognizant of that whether they want to admit that or not so the raiders are two and six coming off a two-game road trip losing streak everything seems to be going in the wrong direction the, the goals that they had for the season of being a playoff team seem like they're a long way off and, and maybe unrealistic at this point. Uh, but then you get back home. You got Darren Waller going to IR. You got Devon Diablo going to IR. You got Hunter Renfro going to IR. You got Blake Martinez yeah. retiring. All these things are happening. And I talked to a player yesterday and just said, hey, like, from the outside, it looks like complete and total chaos in that room. <laughs> it looks nuts. Like, every, people are leaving. They're hurt. They're gone. They're retiring. What is it like inside? And he well, said, I mean, that's but hold on, ahead, I'll I'm say sorry. this. He, he goes, I'll be totally honest with you. He said, I don't care if I showed up and it was 52 different guys. You come here and you practice, and that's all you care about. It seemed crazy to me that that's true. It cannot possibly be true that you're so focused on your job that you don't even notice all those other things. Well, that's the thing. Unfortunately, you have to be because whenever you have a lot of chaos going on, you have to be able to just put your head down, hunker down, and just do your work and put your hard hat, put your uh, your hard hat and your lunch pail, bring that to work, and just go ahead and just do what you got to do because <laughs> there's so much going on that you don't have control over. And whenever it's something you don't have control over, if you sit there and you let yourself stress on that, you let yourself fixate on that, it'll drive you crazy. So I think that, uh, uh, to your point, that's something that you just have to do, even though that kind of goes against natural human emotions, natural human reaction. But you have to do your best to simply just have blinders on, focus on what you can control, focus on your part, focus on your job, and then everything else, just let it fall with it, let, let it fall where it may, because at the end of the day, you still want to make sure that you put your best foot forward. You want to make sure that your resume is as spick and spotless as it can be because there will come a day where you 
will no longer be a Las Vegas Raider and potentially be a teammate, an employee of another team. And you want to make sure that you're able to put yourself in a situation where you have as many suitors as possible. So I love that you can provide us the players insight on that and that that's what you're doing and that's what you're supposed to do. So you have to do as a professional, but that's impossible, right? Like you notice, <laughs> you notice what's going on. Yeah, you notice what's going on. I mean, come on now. But th at the end of the day, when you really look at it right now, the Raiders are sitting there two and six. And as bad as it sounds or it's just as ugly as it looks, you know, you string together a few wins. All of a sudden now things look different. And all of a sudden you're, you're finding people that want to come to work every day. You're finding everybody in much more pleasant mood. So you're just about two or three weeks away from being able to have a vastly different outlook as far as when you walk into the building and that right there starts with everybody simply doing their job one day at a time one play at a time then hopefully you can string together one win two wins three wins and then you know what let's go ahead and see where these last two months take us but right now it does look ugly there's no doubt about that but i think that uh whenever you're in life whenever you're in a hole the only way to get out is the way through and they dug this hole. They're going to have to go ahead, see it through, and go out the same way that they came in. And that's burying their head down, hard work, focus on what you can control, and then let the chips fall where they may. Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider, is with us. I want your reaction to this one, Stanford. Brandon Marshall, the former receiver in the National Football League, just buried Josh McDaniels saying, uh, you know what, the guy's just not a head coach. Give this a listen. Josh McDaniels is definitely not suited to be a head coach. Absolutely not Why? because of what I talked about when we were talking about Jeff Saturday. Because he doesn't know how to lead people. You can have all the X's and O's in the world, okay? But when you go into a losing locker room, the first thing you have to do is be able to get to the, to the players' mind and their hearts. And he's not capable of doing that. He's not capable of doing that with his players. He's not capable of doing that with his coaches. Stanford? Oh, man, you know because of everything that transpired before he even coached his first game with the Denver Broncos, a fiasco with him and Jay Cutler trying to trade for him. And then all of a sudden now Jay Cutler is demanding a trade to go to Chicago. And then when you look at how that ended, he then goes to St. Louis and now he's with the Las Vegas Raiders. You can't argue with what Brandon Marshall is saying just because there's so much more that goes into being a head coach than just X's and O's. You're the CEO of the franchise. You're the CEO of the company. So you have to oversee a lot of things. And right now, Josh McDaniels was overseeing the Las Vegas Raiders not address the offensive line position. He oversaw the Raiders not addressing the secondary position. That's why they just had to let Jonathan Abrams go a couple days ago. So I think that right there, uh, to your point, you have to be able to walk into a locker room and you have to be able to convince men who are making more money than you, guys who are making seven, eight figures, things like that. You have to convince them for no other reason at all other than they simply would want to. You got to be able to convince them to follow you. And in college, it's very easy because you can operate off of fear. I can just, you know, pull your scholarship if you don't do what I want. But once you get to the NFL, I have to convince you to follow me. And that is a very unique trait that not a lot of men have. Not uh, There are 32 people on the planet that have it, less than all the head coaches in the NFL being able to possess that trait. So I can't even argue with what uh, B. Marsh is saying just because so far right now, that is what has transpired as far as his resume to this date. Stanford, I got one minute left, and this one's like a 10-minute discussion, but you just talk about having it as the head coach. Is Jeff Saturday going to have it for the Colts this weekend? <laughs> now, listen, <laughs> the craziest part about all this is that right now, I believe 
if Jeff Saturday did not work as an ESPN analyst, I feel you would probably see many more unique opinions about somebody going from the analyst chair to the interim head coach all in a few days. And I think that because of that, with Jeff Saturday not having any coaching experience past high school, not in college, not in the NFL, even though we know he's a great player, six-time Pro Bowler, All-Pro Center for Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers. So much respect to him and his career. I think he should have a gold jacket, and we'll see. But I think that um, that remains to be seen because, once again, he's going to have to grab the respect of everybody in that locker room and even the coaching staff. Imagine the coaches on that staff right now that are wondering why didn't one of them get picked to be the interim coach. So he's got a long road ahead of him as far as just earning the respect of the players and the coaches going forward. Stanford, good job, man. We appreciate it. We'll check in with you again next week. Appreciate you guys. Y'all be safe, man. There he is. Stanford Route, the former Oakland Raider, played for the Chiefs as well. We haven't really gone in on Jeff Saturday. We'll do it a little bit. On the way back, we had a great conversation, Adam, with Rick Venturi, who's the color voice of the Colts and was a head coach for the Colts and the Saints. And I think the, the thing I was shocked about the most, I didn't realize how much Colts fans were frustrated and disliked Frank Reich. And he was saying, oh, the Colts fans, a lot of them are all behind this Jeff Saturday thing. I'm like, I don't know how you can be a fan with any sort of a brain and think this is anything but complete nonsense. I don't care if he's one of your legends. And I would hope, I would hope. The Raiders fans, as mad as they are right now with Josh McDaniels, you know, wouldn't rejoice if they were like, you know what? Mark Davis said, Rich Gannon's coming in. He's going to be the coach. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're good. Now. Like, please think it through. Nevada Sports Talk Hour with Cofield and company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. He's eccentric, so he's going to come off a little bit different than most guys. But keep in mind this. He is maybe the best football guy in the National Football League. He's very smart. He's done this and done nothing else. He's not like his father who came into pro football. There's always a method to his madness. I think he has really, really good instincts. He's a lot sharper than people think. It's Cofield and Company. Rick Venturi, the color voice, former coach all over the league college football coach as well. Played his football at Northwestern. Talking about Jim Irsay there, Adam. Very smart football guy. Has good instincts. Kind of a backhanded compliment. Unlike his dad, he's done nothing else except for this. Exactly. (laughs) What do you say to that? That, hey, trust in Jim Irsay. He's got good instincts. Yeah, I mean, I I don't, look, I think that there's a lot made of that press conference the other day. Yeah, uh, I did see uh, certainly one of uh, one of Ursay's former players uh, who now does a lot of media, Pat McAfee, who kind of did an entire like half hour breakdown of kind of translating what he meant by a lot of the stuff that he said. Uh, it was weird. It was bizarre. I, I don't know if Ursay is the same person he was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Maybe he was different then. Uh, there seems to be a lot slipping. What does that now. mean better or worse? I, well, I mean, we know his lifestyle was different. Yeah. Um, what he is now seems to be kind of off the rails, and I don't mean that that was not a pun. Right. Uh, I just he's he says some some wacky things, and that doesn't diminish what you know. You could be very uh, with it and very sharp and. Um, re- really know your stuff in terms of personnel and all those things and still say some crazy things, but that got very bizarre. 
I, 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 I lost any sense that I had of maybe he has some plan seemed to go away. And then obviously you hear the backstory of making phone calls and, you know, asking different guys what they think they should do and all that. Like it was a little disturbing in terms of what they're trying to do there. Uh, but I don't, I don't buy this, you know, brilliant, sharp mind of football when he kind of lucked into Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. So you don't think there's an evil genius at work here setting up the tank? I mean, he might be tanking. He's, he is insisting he's not. Um, I, my, you know, my philosophy is that he has been, you know, he, he brought Jeff Saturday in to t- give him a scouting report of all the players and all the coaches and who's working hard and who's not and kind of be a spy. Uh, and if you tank along the way, that's fine. Like, that's what I think. If, if his plan is I'm sending this dude in because I think he's actually going to win games for me and get us to the playoffs – that seems illogical. That doesn't make sense. Right. Especially if you're going to stick with Sam Ellinger, which it sounds like they are, and have a play caller who's never done the job before. Harks Frazier. He does have a pretty cool story. Marrying the team reporter and then having his house shot up 77 times. But I don't know that that gives you any benefit in terms of calling plays on a Sunday. What happens if the Raiders lose this game? Could they possibly lose to the Jeff Saturday-led Colts? Oh, sure they could. And there's, a lot, by the way, a lot of money coming in on the Colts. A yep. lot. Went from, uh, what was the highest number you saw? Six and a half. So six and a half down to what, four and a half now? Yeah. I think there's maybe some fives popping back up, so maybe, maybe people buying back on the Raiders a little bit. Now, as far as I know, a part of that was uh, I was told by some sharp people that there was a belief that Jeff Saturday was going to pull a surprise, you know, Friday presser and be like, Matt Ryan's our starter again. Right. Um, and he's going to call the plays and he's just going to kind of run the, run his own offense, which would make some sense. Wait, wait, uh, wait. Saturday's going to run the offense or Matt Ryan's going to no, be OC on the field? That Matt Ryan would just be OC on the field. No. That was kind of the thought. Wow. Of, hey, maybe this will work. But if they're sticking with Ellinger, uh, I, don't, I don't see the path. But they do still have talented players. They still have Jonathan Taylor. And the one thing that's been the biggest issue for them is the offensive line has been an absolute train wreck. So if Jeff Saturday has some tips and some tricks to fix the offensive line quickly, maybe it comes together. Who knows? I just I don't see it. Cofield and Company with the Battleborn Sports Hour, 766-1400 is a number. in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. I'm here getting ready for a college football game with uh, Fresno State in town to take on UNLV. Big college football weekend. Let's bring in uh, Heather Dinich from ESPN and ESPN.com to preview the weekend a little bit, but more importantly talk about the CFP. I actually uh, talked to her this morning. We started off the conversation with the ESPN expert, just mentioning the uh, TCU-Texas game. And TCU's got to win. they got to win out. Uh, I think the numbers say 4% chance of winning out in these last four games. And asked her, hey, does uh, Texas take TCU out of the uh, CFP mix tomorrow? I think they do. That's my gut feeling. Um, I'm curious as to how TCU's defense fares against these guys, particularly in stopping the run. I think that's going to be key. Um, you know, everybody talks about how – poor TCU has played in terms of having to come from behind, but they've been one of the best second half teams 
in the entire country. And offensively, Max Duggan is obviously very good. So I, I trust that they're going to score their points. I just don't think that they're going to be able to do it consistently through four quarters to get these guys. But you know what? Texas has been one of the most baffling teams I've seen all country, all, all season, excuse me. So I'm not sure what to expect from them as well from quarter to quarter. I think I, my, my gut just says that TCU's defense is enough of a question mark that I'm, I'm going Texas on this one. So we'll, we'll say Horn Frogs lose this game. They finish out. They have one loss. When you talk to Big 12 people, what do they say about the fact that they could have a one-loss team and like they'd be nowhere near the college football playoff? Well, look, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Oklahoma State has played so poorly down the stretch, and you just look at some of these other teams that have taken a beating. I mean, Kansas has had a, a phenomenal season for Kansas, right? But when you look back at the teams that TCU beat, everyone thought in that moment and that window, that snapshot, that they beat four straight-ranked teams. But that's just not how it works. It's who did you beat in the selection committee's top 25? And so – Right now, they're looking at K-State as their best win. They have a great opportunity. That's the thing. Down the stretch, nobody has a more difficult schedule remaining in the country than TCU. But you know how that goes. It's a double-edged sword. It can either play you right into the thing or it can knock it out. But the bottom line is that the Big 12 Conference as a whole is not as strong as it was a month ago. But you know what? Either is the ACC. How worried are people from the Big 12 that once Texas and OU leave, even though they're bringing in new schools, they're going to be in this position almost every year where they're one of the lower of the Power 5 conferences? You know, I will say this completely honestly. Everyone that I've spoken to from the Big 12 is bullish about the future of that league in terms of TV deal, the schools that it's bringing in, and quite honestly, what are you getting from Texas and Oklahoma right now? (laughs) Um so, you know, college football is completely cyclical. We, we all know that. But you've got to have a team like TCU or Oklahoma State with a little bit of that brand and firepower to be where TCU is right now. I'm still, honestly, I'm still kind of surprised that Oklahoma State just took the downward spiral that it did. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago. They just got beat so soundly. Um, but, you know, bringing in BYU, Cincinnati, some respectable programs. But... The clout, the brand name of the Big 12 co-founders, they're not naive. That's a real thing. They're, they're going to miss them, and they're going to lose a lot when they go. So uh, looking at the story up on ESPN.com, breaking down the six possible college football playoff scenarios, let's go through some scenarios. TCU wins out. Tennessee wins out. Michigan loses close to Ohio State. Then what? TCU wins out. Tennessee wins out. Michigan loses close. That's what you said? Yes. Then Ohio, Ohio State's in. Who wins the SEC, Georgia or LSU? We'll say we'll go with Georgia wins out because I want to hit the okay. LSU point because I know you were saying the other yeah. day L- LSU is the key to chaos. It, it is. So I think Georgia's in in that scenario. LSU's done. Michigan's out. So you've got Georgia, Ohio State. And if TCU is undefeated, is that what you said? Yes. I think you get TCU and Tennessee in there. Oregon kind of controls its own destiny but really doesn't. Right. I mean, we're so far out from these last three weeks uh, deciding a lot of things. I mean, Oregon needs to win out. But in the end, they could be on the outside looking in, I guess, because of the Georgia game. It doesn't matter that it was week one. It was just such a bad beating. 
So here's what's so fascinating about George or Oregon, excuse me. They're playing so well, and the selection committee has recognized that. I'm looking at the things that Bo Nix is doing, and Auburn fans have to be wondering, where was that? <laughs> um, but, you know, when you look at what they've done since then, if they run the table and win the Pac-12, you're talking about now Washington was ranked by the CFP. They got to play Washington. They still have Utah. That's a ranked team. They would still play another ranked opponent in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, we're talking about significantly padding your resume when it matters the most in the month of November and punctuating it with a conference title. That's where it gets really dicey if it's an either or Oregon or T- or Tennessee, because as good as Tennessee has looked, I promise you conference championships matter in that selection committee meeting room. They are one of several tiebreakers that the committee uses. And Boo Corrigan, the committee chair, said this week that essentially, look, Tennessee and Oregon both lost to Georgia. And while the Oregon loss was more lopsided, they both got beat soundly. Neither team looked good in that win. So it's kind of a wash. And it's not like because it's so much more lopsided that's the one thing that's going to keep Oregon out and put Tennessee in. Heather Dinich, ESPN.com, is up on ESPN Las Vegas with Cofield and company. Like we said, LSU is the key to chaos. So if LSU wins out, that means they beat Georgia. I gave you the scenario where Michigan, Ohio State, one of them knocks the other one off. One could be sitting with one loss, a close loss. LSU would get in ahead of the Big Ten team with two losses? So if LSU wins the SEC, they would have wins against Georgia and Alabama. I don't think they would get in instead of the Big Ten champion. I think they would get in with the Big Ten Right. Over the second, the the Big Ten, we'll call them a loser, but they could have one loss, a close loss to Ohio State or Michigan, and LSU could bump ahead of them. So if it's Michigan in that scenario, I think they're done. If it's Ohio State, I think they have a slim margin for hope. Well, I say it, look. Yeah. It's so funny because people think like I'm spitting out my opinion here. Right. It's not my opinion. This is what is happening in the selection committee meeting room. In the committee meeting room, they do not like Michigan's strength of schedule. Michigan was is in the top four this week because they're a good team and because Tennessee lost and Clemson lost. If they don't beat the Buckeyes, then they're hoping that their win against Penn State, against Penn State, is enough to impress the selection committee to finish in the top four. It wasn't last week, so why would it be on Selection Day when everybody else is winning conference championship games? The only difference between them and Ohio State is Ohio State has that win against Notre Dame. And we saw Notre Dame is in in the top 20 this week. I think they were 20th. They can go on to have a great season, really respectable. They still play USC. So if Ohio State loses a very close game to Michigan, I think there's at least a little more consideration only because of that. A lot of this will be fixed in a couple of years with the field of 12. And we should point out that this weekend's Tulane-Central Florida game, you know, if it's two years from now, this is one of the key games of the season because this is the group of six invitee likely to turn out to be the highest-ranked team. So this is a big game. And, and in the future, it's going to be a cool spot. How hard was that to get in in the negotiations? Because it feels like the Power Five fought against this. And finally, you know, those of us like in the Mountain West Conference, hey, there's a shot to get in. Well, Craig Thompson from the Mountain Mountain West Commissioner was one of the four people on the working group with um, Jack Swarbrick, Greg Sankey, and former Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, who put that proposal together. And so for all those guys to sit around the table, nobody got everything that they wanted, and they still haven't. They're still hashing out a lot of those details, right? 
But I mean, you look at Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick, a guy who wrote that proposal, and Notre Dame can never get a first round bye in this new system because they don't play a conference championship game. So everybody had to make some concessions, but I do think that by saying the six highest ranked conference champions goes a long way to what some of the group of five commissioners have, all the group of five commissioners have been saying, stop calling us group of five and just say FBS. And I think this does help to shed that label a little bit in the future. Last one with Heather Dinich. It's very murky out here. The future of all these Western uh, conferences, there could be realignment two years from now. What does the Pac-12 look like? Is it standing pat at 10 teams? Does it have 12? Does it have 14? You know, we hear San Diego State is close. What is it? Or or here's the other scenario. It's gone. There is no Pac-12. So I, I am not a dire type, it's, it's going to explode and disappear type person. I just don't believe that. I mean, even look at what happened with what the American Athletic Conference was able to do in terms of adjusting. And then you had Cincinnati in the top four last year. So some of this stuff tends to sort itself out a little bit. But to me, it's just it's very similar with what the Big 12 did. You're going to lose Oklahoma and Texas. You're going to find ways to at least stay whole, right? Are you ever going to be the SEC or the Big 10? Apparently nobody is right now because what's left, right? So everybody else is just trying to hang on and and stay in the room. Um, But I don't think it's going to disappear. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I'm not going to pretend to know because you know what? I've been doing this so long that you wake up one day and USC and UCLA in the Big Big Ten. And I said, what the hell? Where did that come from? I mean, so your guess is as good as mine. Heather, you're awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks. Heather Dinich, ESPN.com. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield, Treasure Island, and at the Al on a Friday night. Adam, how frustrating is is, uh, is it for you as a Michigan fan to hear your strength of schedule sucks and that you could be on the outside looking into a two-loss LSU team? That's really, He's really frustrated. He's really frustrated. Give me nothing. <laughs> yeah. I can't I'll try again, Adam. How frustrating. Heather was just talking about Michigan with a loss would be on the outside looking in behind many teams, including a two-loss LSU team. Well, it just depends what the committee feels like doing that day. I mean, they might just say, go ahead and play. Well, You're in. Are they being fair to Michigan by penalizing Michigan for playing no one in the non-con? No, look, you have, you have to schedule, I think, a little bit more aggressively, and I think you have to send that message. Uh, but it... I don't know what their job is. I mean, I guess their job is whatever they want it to be. We say that all the time. Uh, for the most part, it's putting on a good show and getting you to watch the next week. But when right. it actually comes down to selecting who's going to play, like, yeah, you should send a message that you should play more aggressively. You should play tougher opponents. Uh, but you do that by putting in teams that are like 8-4 and four over teams that are 11-1 and one at some point, right? I mean, that's how you send that message. We're like, hey, they played such a hard schedule that the four losses is actually more impressive than the one loss, and that's never going to happen. Well, they could do that by with a two-loss team. You can't do that with LSU saying, hey, the quality of the wins for LSU, they beat Alabama, they beat Georgia, because if they're going to get in, they have to beat Georgia if they can make it to the SEC title game. I I personally think it's stupid, and I guess a win over Georgia would mean a lot, but to me, if Ohio State and Michigan play and, you know, it's whatever, 27 
25. And your other option is a two-loss LSU team that lost to Florida State. Then you put both of the Big Ten teams in, but I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, I just I don't think they will either. Look, if it was the SEC, it'd be different. We know that. Uh, but I yeah I look I I do I am fully convinced if Michigan loses to Ohio State, they're not playing for the playoffs. Like I'm pretty convinced of that. Even if they lose close. Yeah, that's crazy. Not that they don't deserve it, but that they won't. I'm 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 sold in my mind that I was going to say we that Michigan has to win that game against Ohio State in order to play for the playoff. So because you've mentally prepped for it, you think it's going to happen, you're going to be good with it? No, but I'm ready for it. (laughs) Well, it'll all be solved in a couple of years, and maybe if there's a complete cluster, you know what, they'll bump the whole friggin' thing up to next year, and let's just get going with a field of 12 so we don't have this nonsense at the end of the year. And no, that won't make the regular season irrelevant, so stop saying that. Reno, you've been listening to the Battleborn Sports Hour on ESPN Reno. For all three hours, find the archives at lvsportsnetwork.com.